Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are talking about Romans 12, um, and especially verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Such a powerful little sentence, you know? And I think it feels so resonant because evil can sometimes feel enormous. And that battle between good and evil is what our greatest stories are about in books and movies. And they're exciting because you kind of don't know who's going to win. And that tension is where we live. That's why we love the stories, because they ring true. We want the good guy to win, but we just aren't always sure that it will happen. We find ourselves in that battle, and so we rehearse it over and over again in our entertainment. But here in this little line of scripture is a way out, a promise of victory and a battle plan. Do not be overcome by evil, Paul says. Those words imply that it is possible to not be overcome, right? If Paul can command it, then it must be possible. And then a battle plan for us, overcome evil with good. A way forward in the tension, goodness. Simple goodness. Small goodness that takes the form of all the things that Paul listed in the verses before, devotion, sharing, hospitality, empathy, resolving conflicts, forgiveness, self-control. And the strange thing is that it seems to be at the same time both so obvious and hard to believe. You know, it's obvious because we all know that you can't fight fire with fire. We've heard the stories of transformation that comes when someone's evil is met with goodness instead of vengeance, right? Like Jean Valjean in the musical Les Miserables. Um, in the story, Jean Valjean is released from prison and he's given a yellow um, passport that will mark him out as an outcast for the rest of his life, wherever he goes. Despite that, the bishop invites him into his home, showing the hospitality that our passage commands. And then in the night, Valjean steals silver from the bishop and runs away. The police catch him and they return him to the bishop and the bishop gives him an incredible gift. He doesn't send him back to prison and he doesn't even say, how dare you do this after I invited you into my home. Instead, he shelters him. He says to Valjean, friend, you took the silverware, but you forgot to take the candlesticks. I gave them to you as well. And we know who that sounds like. If they take your shirt, give them your coat as well. And the police are forced to let Valjean go. And he is transformed by that moment, by a glimpse into the kingdom of God. He becomes an honest man, dedicated to doing good in whatever ways that he can. And that story, while awe-inspiring, doesn't seem that far off because we know that it is only goodness that can inspire goodness. Like Dr. King said so beautifully, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. You know, it's no guarantee that someone will change. You can give your candlesticks and your coat and they still might turn around and take more from you. But it is the only way that change ever will come. Hatred will never be defeated by hatred, nor selfishness by meeting another equally selfish person. No amount of rage will ever drive away rage, 
that rage needs to be met by something completely different from itself if we ever hope for transformation. It feels obvious, so obvious that it's actually hard to preach on because what more can you say except, of course that's true, there's no other way. It's exactly the way that Jesus defeated evil. Jesus walked willingly to his own death in order to save us. He didn't raise an argument or an army. Ultimate goodness and sacrifice, ultimate love, had to step into the violence that seethes in this world to take it in and to overcome it there. Jesus laid down his life so that we could live. And in that very act, he showed that evil never had a hold on him. And he broke its hold on the world. His resurrection sealed it. Not even the tomb had the power to hold him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In some ways it's so obvious. And yet, Paul has to say it here and in many other places, and Jesus had to say it, and we need to hear it again today because as obvious as it is, most of us, most of the time, still don't believe it. Not enough to live it out with any kind of consistency. Not enough that it becomes our reaction when someone treats us badly to return goodness to them. Not enough not to fear strangers, not enough to give our coats or our candlesticks. Often not even enough to have the patience to sit with someone's grief, to mourn with those who mourn. But we need to be reminded because far too often we are overcome by evil, overcome by answering it in kind. And someone accuses me and I accuse them right back. It's amazing how difficult it is not to get sucked into it, even in really silly moments. Um, one summer, I worked at an army base uh, helping with kids camps. Um, and I used to ride my longboard between these two buildings I worked in. One day I was heading from one of the buildings to the other and some kid on his bike rode by. He must have been eight or so. I think I was 20. Anyway, he rides past me and he goes, nice skateboard. And without missing a beat, I went, nice bike. What was happening? He was eight. Like, why is that such a knee-jerk reaction to hit back like that? Like, maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't hit back right away, or maybe not so overtly. Maybe you do it with like slower, more passive-aggressive kinds of jabs. Like, oh, I love your jacket. It was so popular 10 years ago. Maybe you just respond with a settled sort of dislike and you sort of set yourself up against the other person in whatever way you can. Maybe you hardly notice that you're doing that. Maybe you just avoid them. Maybe you can't bring yourself to forgive, even though you know it will release both of you. Of course, it's much harder to love as the pain gets bigger. Paul knows how difficult it is. He spends four verses on that in this little section. In the message, verses 17 through 21 read like this. Don't hit back. Discover the beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. 
or if they're thirsty, give them a drink. Your generosity will surprise them with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. And to be vengeful, to pay someone back, is to be overcome by evil. Someone gives you something ugly and you summon all your ugliness to give it back. And as soon as you respond in kind, you have been overtaken. You have been ruled by their behavior. The call of the Christian is to be like Jesus, who walked into the, ugly, into the ugliness and gave back only love. Like the bishop when faced with Jean Valjean's betrayal. Jesus and those who follow him into this take the ugliness on themselves and let it die there. And that's what it means to carry your cross. And that's not the same as like never setting boundaries. I, I just want to be clear that I'm not talking about like abusive relationships. Like someone in an abusive relationship just stays there because that's what Jesus wants. I actually think there's a really good argument to be made for um, being overcome by evil. Like another way you could see being overcome by evil is to let your God-created personhood be diminished by someone else's abusive behavior and overcoming evil would, with good would be to stand up in that case and to affirm that personhood, to set a strong boundary and to remain in love in the midst of all of that. But to say, no, we don't diminish one another in this way. But most of the time we're not faced with that kind of behavior. And mostly it looks more like this, right? Jesus' cro Jesus's cross is the place where evil and hatred and violence, they fell on him. It's the place where he took them on willingly and, they, and, he let, and he let them go with him to the grave. And he could have summoned an army of angels. He could have raged condemnation and judgment. But instead, from the cross, he said things like, forgive them. And they don't know what they're doing. You too said it well. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. In Jesus, we have everything we need to overcome any kind of evil. Any wound can be healed. Any trauma can be transformed and used for good. It's the people who have suffered at the hands of others who so often become the greatest advocates to make change in this world. Any sin can be confessed turned from, forgiven, and made right. Anytime someone rejects us, we can fall back into the love of God. And people might tell us that we're worthless and we can remember that God has called us worthy, holy, friends. We suffer and we know that we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. That in that moment, we are given an opportunity to live out the gospel in a way that is impossible when things are easy. We are being given an opportunity to let some of the evil of this world be extinguished in us, overcome by the goodness of God. Even death, even the threat of death, which to so many is a black hole, a dead end, even that is no match for us because it simply returns us to our Savior and to ourselves. It is the door through which we must pass to enter bliss. 
And so we can say with the writer of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. But we need to rehearse that story to live in it through spiritual disciplines and practices like prayer and worship and study, through getting it wrong and confessing and turning and trying to get it right again. And we need to let this sink deep into our bones so that when someone insults our skateboard, we won't spew venom in return, but we might instead react in love. And what have they suffered that they need to insult a stranger? What mercy do they need from God? They have stolen my silver. What else might they need? How can I overcome this evil with good? And there are other ways that we can be overcome by evil. And sometimes the evil of this world can loom so large that we can get sucked into thinking that there's nothing that can be done about it. And this year has seemed like that at lots of different points. In so many different directions, in so many different ways, evil seems pervasive, but you cannot let it move you to despair. It's just another way of being overcome. Despair can erode goodness, and it feels like nothing can be done, and it asks questions like, what good is that going to do? What difference does it make? I'd like to, um, I like to buy natural peanut butter because I don't want to feed myself or my kids trans fats if I can avoid it. Um, it's a strange, it's just strange to me that we like knowingly put things in our food that we know are killing us. Um, but anyway, one day I was reaching out my hand to get my peanut butter in the grocery store and a friend of mine said like natural peanut butter, what good is that? And I said, I was trying to stay away from processed food and she pointed to the box of cereal in my cart. Um, fair, right? She was right. Um, cereal is full of, I don't know what, and I was still buying it. Um, my friend was pointing out an inconsistency in me and she was right. But there's a darker side to that question because it implies that if you don't do everything perfectly, it's useless or even wrong to do anything at all. By that measure, unless you can be perfect, why even try? And from there, there's no chance of goodness or growth. It is the defense mechanism of despair, of giving in to darkness. It is one way that we are overcome by evil. So we resist it. We will not be perfect and that's fine because we live in grace. It is not our job to save the world. Jesus has already done that. But we have this invitation to join him in that victory in whatever ways we can, small or big whether it's a jar of peanut butter that promotes life a little better than another, or a small kindness that seems like a drop in the sea of isolation and loneliness that we live in. It seems like almost nothing. And we trust that as we press into Jesus, we will live more and more instinctively in God's kingdom with less and less inconsistency as we are less and less comfortable with the ways of the world. For others, that despair takes on the form of walling ourselves off from the darkness of the world. 
you know, people say, I just don't like to think about negative things. And so they arrange their world so that they don't have to. And that's a lot easier to do when you have a lot of money. They put themselves in jobs and neighborhoods that never require them to confront the suffering of the world, carefully selecting movies and TV and staying away from the news. It's a careful kind of denial. And I think Christians get caught by this one because they think that they're supposed to focus on the positive. And there's a kind of sort of truth to that, but we are not called to live in denial. Christians can face reality with a courage that can only come from Christ, that can only come from the resurrection. With Jesus, they can look into the darkness of the tomb and they can say with him, Lazarus, come out, bringing life even into the darkest of places by the power of God. And that can never happen if we turn away in fear. The uh, worship and wonder curriculum, which is what we use at Sherman Street with our children, um, Gwen has very faithfully been making videos through this whole COVID season. Um, I love the way that they tell the Adam and Eve story. Um, so in the Bible, after um, Adam and Eve disobey God, they hide in the bushes because they realize they're naked and they're ashamed. And God comes looking for them and asks the question, who told you that you were naked? In the worship and wonder curriculum, they have that question, who taught you to be afraid? Which is just such a beautiful take on that question. You know, I've been so struck by it that I think about, I'm getting it tattooed on my wrist so that I will have this reminder with me always not to live in fear. Because the answer to that question, who taught you to be afraid? The answer is that the devil taught us fear. Fear is the devil's. It does not come from God. So whenever we catch ourselves brimming with fear, we ought to ask ourselves, who taught me this? And then put that fear aside. In this world, you will face great trouble, Jesus says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I took this class in seminary that uh, took a close look at our culture and some of the darker themes that ran that run through it. And every week, this class would rock me. Like, I would feel, as the class went on, my stomach just like tightening into a knot. And by the end, I would just feel wholly sick. And I remember telling my friend Casey that I felt overwhelmed by it. And he came right back at me with, do not get overwhelmed. That is a tool of the devil. Being overwhelmed just paralyzes us and keeps us from doing anything good. And he might as well have said, don't be overcome by evil. It doesn't matter how big evil looks or how many different directions it runs. We have to hold on to the truth that our God is greater than it. The cross allows us to look at death, the worst kind of death, the death of Christ, which for the disciples was the death of hope, the death of salvation, the death of goodness and love. It allows us to look into that bleakness and know that even then, maybe especially then, there is a resurrection on the other side. We are called to be overcomers who don't go around, don't go on passing evil around, receiving it from one just so that we can pass it on to another. 
We let the world do what it will to us, and we let the evil die with us. At the cross, Jesus took on the violence of the world in the forms of stripes on his back and nails in his hands and feet, crowns of thorns on his head, and the scorn of the crowds. He took on the violence of the world and he let it die with him, extinguishing the arrows of the evil one in his own body and then rising up again to show us all how much power evil really has. Not much at all. And because he was faithful, we too can walk into that darkness and be lifted into glory. Our great honor is to be in this world as Christ was, welcoming the stranger and the outcast, walking into dark places with faith and hope and even joy being healers and peacemakers, facing the violence of the world and the violence in our own hearts with the strength of peace and the power of the resurrection. We are overcomers who believe in the ultimate power of love, power of God, which is made manifest even in the smallest kindnesses, simple acts of faithfulness lived out every day and in our faithfulness, we stave off the despair of the world. We hold back the power of darkness and we live out the victory of the cross. We are overcomers who wait for the final victory to be made full in Christ's coming again, when evil will be no more, when death will die, but love will remain. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, teach us to walk through this world as you do. Full of grace and truth. With space at your table for everyone. making space for those that the world wants to squeeze out. Allowing people to come at you with all of the violence that they have in them. And then letting it die with you. Never giving it back. Lord Jesus, teach us to walk through this world as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.